Good morning, and welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast. Do you want a surefire way to write romance that the audience will always connect with? Then stay tuned, because that's what I'm talking about today. I'm also going to somewhat dissect the movie while you were sleeping. It's one that I've been wanting to do, both because it's a very fun chick flick kind of romance and also because it's a holiday movie, so I thought it'd be a good one to do for the Christmas season. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. Let's face it, readers read fiction to feel emotion and be transported and transformed. In this ongoing digital revolution, where online marketing is always in flux, the only way to create a sustainable author business and live off your royalties is to write transformational stories, market at every stage of the author journey, and cultivate a loyal audience of readers. Fortunately, there's never been more opportunity to make a living as a fiction author. Hi, I'm Liesl Hill. USA Today best-selling author and story clarity coach. When I'm not dictating my own stories about dragons, serial killers, and dystopian worlds, I help other authors write their own transformational fiction, position them as bestsellers, and market them like pros. Join me on the podcast where I give writing tips, marketing how-tos, story advice, and interviews with other authors who are in the trenches just like you and making it work. We are prolific authors. In terms of a personal update, I am going to be opening the doors to my Fiction Author Business Academy again the second half of January. So that's coming up pretty fast in the next month, and I'm just working on a lot of things to get that ready. I ended up switching platforms yet again, which I had to swear about a little bit. But um, the one that I was with, I was just having a lot of technical difficulties on the back end, and I was waiting for them to debut new functionality that they'd been promising for like six or eight months, and it still hadn't happened. So it wasn't a bad platform by any means, but I just finally kind of got sick of them waiting around for them to get their act together. So I switched to a new one. So, you know, it's just a lot of technical stuff that I'm working on right now. Nothing too exciting. And then, of course, I am working hard on editing book five of Intercron, which is the one that I wrote during NaNoWriMo. And I'm hoping to have that done either by the end of the month or the first week in January. So that is pretty much what I'm working on. And yeah, I hope things are going well for you guys and that you're working on lots of fun stuff, too. Okay, so for Mindset Minute, this is what I was thinking about this week. I was listening to a talk, and it wasn't actually anything to do with writing or authoring at all. It was ta- it was about having difficult conversations with your children and how important that is. Even though they're difficult for the parent, they're still important to have. And they had this really cool quote that I really liked where it said, wouldn't you rather your children sweat you know, during these difficult conversations but in the safety of your home than bleed on the battlefields of life because you didn't prepare them? And I started thinking about that when it comes to writing. Of course, everything that I hear, I kind of see through the lens of a writer and of telling stories. And one thing that I hear people say a lot, and it's somewhat political, and I, don't worry, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but people tend to say that we shouldn't watch or read or listen to certain things with our kids. Now, of course, there's a continuum of that. There are certain things you definitely should not plop your child in front of if if it's inappropriate to adult, that sort of thing. But that's not really what I'm talking about here. When people say this, sometimes they are Disney movies. Sometimes they are movies that just have sad things in them, okay? Now, if there is a really outdated movie that has something in it that you don't like, then I still think that if there's any value in it, it's something you could watch with your children and just explain to them um, what it is you don't like about it or how it's outdated. But let me give you a, a really specific example of what I'm talking about here. There are a lot of people out there that think that children should not watch The Lion King. And the main reason they cite for this, it, you know, 
put all the political stuff aside or anything that, you know, things have come out lately about some bad things that are in the Disney movies. I understand that. But I'm talking specifically about the story, okay? And the reason that they cite for not wanting to watch it is because in the story, Simba loses his father and it's quite traumatic for him. So I've heard people say that we're basically traumatizing our children by having them watch that. I could not disagree more with that, okay? Yes, it is kind of traumatic. It is definitely tragic. There's there's a lot of sadness in that. But... I think that it's important that we have these conversations with our children because we all know that escapism is a thing and that the reason that we psychologically need escapism is because it helps us live vicariously through that story and experience the emotions of what happens in the story without actually having to deal with the ramifications of that story in real life, right? So what I'm saying is that this could be, even if the child gets upset, even if they are, um, you know, it's, it's something you need to sit down and talk to them about and kind of work through their emotions, it allows them to explore the emotions of loss when they haven't actually lost a family member, hopefully. (laughs) And again, use your common sense. If you have a child who just lost a family member, maybe don't plop them down in front of the Lion King just yet. But in a general sense, right? I think it allows them to experience that and have a frame of reference for it in a safe place. And we all know that eventually they're going to have trials. They are going to lose a parent at some point. It's just part of life, right? Heaven knows the last two years have given us enough trials, but this is why stories are so important because they help prepare us for those trials. And I honestly believe that there's a lot of, you know, potentially post-apocalyptic things happening in our world right now, or that could lead to that if we don't, you know, really put the brakes on them. And we are dealing with it a lot better than we would if we didn't have post-apocalyptic literature, okay? It does make us frightened, but it also helps us get out of bed in the morning and say, okay, obviously maybe there's some things that need to change. Maybe we need to do some reforms, but we can deal with this and let's not let it get to that point. And that is what literature does for us, even the bad stuff, even the dark stuff or the tragic stuff, okay? So, this is just what I was thinking about <laughs> this week. Just something to keep in mind. And don't be afraid to really put your your um, characters through the ringer and to pull out those emotions because we all know emotions are what the reader is looking for, but it genuinely helps them in their life. And so don't be afraid of that. And don't be afraid to talk to your kids about that and talk to your spouse about that and talk to other people about that. Okay, that is the beauty and the joy of storytelling, of fiction and of literature. Okay, now let's get into the episode. So originally, I knew that I just wanted to do uh, more deconstructions, because you guys seem to like those, and I really wanted to do a Christmas story, and I've been wanting to do kind of a chick-flick romance one. So I I went with While You Were Sleeping, because it's a classic, and also it's available on Disney Plus now, so it's very family-friendly, and if you need a way to watch it, that's probably the easiest way. I decided, though, that I wasn't going to go through the nine plot points with this. I wanted to go through the eight steps of romance progression. And I'm not even sure why I called them the eight steps of romance progression. It's actually more like 12. (laughs) I think I might have combined a few of them, but that's okay. So um, just to give credit where credit is due, I did not come up with this. I actually first was introduced to it by romance author Amy Jarecki, who is a very, very successful romance author, but she did not come up with them either. Actually, the first person I believe that ever put this out there was Linda Howard, and she calls them the 12 steps of intimacy, okay? So it's something that's taught pretty often. Despite saying that it's taught pretty often, I don't see it talked a whole lot about in the author space, at least not as much as Um, you know, other kinds of story beats. So this specifically has to do with how a romance progresses. So I'm going to go through the steps with you really quickly. And then after that, we will talk about while you were sleeping. Okay, so the 12 steps of romance progression. Basically, this is the way that the 
relationship progresses physically. So we start with step one, which is eye to body. That can just mean they're checking each other out and it can be somewhat sexual, but it can also just be sizing each other up, right? Step two is eye to eye, making eye contact. Um, I have to think of the <laughs> friends quote, right? We had a little eye contact. Then it's voice to voice, which is them actually talking to each other, probably being introduced, but actually having a conversation. Step four is hand to hand, which is holding hands. Step five is arm to shoulder. So it's a little bit more physical touch, but um, not a lot. I always think of this as kind of the classic boy pretending to yawn in the movie theater so he can put his arm around girl. Okay, right? It's arm to shoulder. Um, and then there's arm to waist, which is a little bit more pulling someone close by the waist. Uh, number seven is mouth to mouth. That would be first kisses. And then hands to head is number eight. Now that's kind of interesting because we, we actually see this often. A lot of times in films, they'll kiss first. And then as the kiss kind of deepens, then they start to put their hands into each other's hair or on each other's faces. And this can actually be more intimate than the kiss itself. Um, number nine is hand to body. And then from there we get into much more adult stuff. Okay. Number 10 is mouth to breast. Number 11 is mouth to genitals and number 12 is genitals to genitals. So you're probably only going to go into those last three steps. If you're writing really racy stuff, erotica, something like that. Um, something like clean romance wouldn't have probably passed step eight. It would probably, which is, um, hand to head. It's just the kiss and maybe hands in the hair or, you know, something like that. All right. So here's the thing about these. It's not rocket science. Most of us have been in a relationship. We've seen or read romance stories before. And, you know, so it's, it's pretty intuitive the way that a romance should progress. But that said, <laughs> often as writers, even though we know something intuitively, we still forget to put it in our writing. And so we might be jumping around too much and not have a very logical progression for the romance. So I just like to use this as sort of a checks and balances. Do I have all of these steps? is it progressing in a way that the reader is going to feel natural to the reader, right? The other thing that's fun about it is that you can throw your characters into situations where they end up skipping steps, right? So they don't know each other very well. They've seen each other across a crowded room and all of a sudden they're thrown into, you know, a car together or something. And it's, it becomes kind of an intimate situation because they're physically pushed up against each other and they don't know each other very well. Okay. Things like that can be really, really fun to write in romance. So it's also a way of just kind of playing around with it and having a good time. And why? Why is it important to use progression when it comes to writing romance? You might ask that. Wouldn't that just make the romance formulaic? Wouldn't that make it cliche and easy to predict? Well, to a certain extent, maybe, but you have to understand something. Most readers, and most especially romance readers, actually do prefer a somewhat formulaic romance. They want to know that the happy ending is coming. They also want to be able to be very invested in the romance, which means that there need to be some twists and turns, and there need to be some things that are going to keep the couple apart and things like that. Here's the thing, guys. Your readers are humans. <laughs> And there are certain attributes to a human relationship and the way it progresses. So they are going to want to see that in your writing of a romance. Now, I'm not saying don't put all kinds of fun twists and turns and trials and things like that into the romance. I'm just saying that, you know, to use a really extreme example, if you were to jump all over the place to where first they're kind of being intimate by holding hands and then they're not, and then they're jumping into something physical and then they're not, that just wouldn't make any sense to the reader. Now, most of you wouldn't write a romance like that because you, like I said, you've been in romances before, you've read them before, you know better than that. But 
that's just my point to write the progression and to make sure that you hit all of the major elements of a good romance will actually help the reader to become more emotionally invested in that romance, which is what we want, right? So that's why we're doing this. What I will say is that these steps, as I said before, are very much about the physical progression. And while there is certainly nothing wrong with that, obviously we need the emotional progression if we're going to write a decent romance. So I, there, there are particular things that go along with each step, and I have kind of um, the steps of emotional steps of romance as well that I teach in my academy. And I'm not going to go over those too much here, but as we go through uh, while you were sleeping, you will probably kind of be able to see what they are. All right, so after deciding to do While You Were Sleeping, I was going through the steps of romance, and I realized that this might not have actually been the best movie to use for these 12 steps of intimacy, because it, just because of the storyline. It wasn't a normal romance where boy meets girl, and they immediately, you know, strike up a relationship, because in the movie, she is, or he thinks, she is engaged to his brother, so they're really not allowed to touch each other, other than in a friendship, you know, really platonic sort of way. So this gets a little bit tricky, but I still think that the movie manages to pull it off, okay? So the first three, of course, just to go over them again, are eye to body, eye to eye, and voice to voice. Those often happen all in the same scene, because this is the character's meeting, okay? So for while you were sleeping, she first meets him um, after she hangs out with his family, and she spends the night at their house, sleeps on the couch, and the next morning she meets him, and he scares the tar out of her. So this is when they first see each other, kind of size each other up, and actually introduce, you know, to each other and talk. We don't get a major hand-to-hand, okay? Again, because it's always kind of awkward and they aren't actually allowed to hold hands, that would be weird. You know, he's kind of trying to get to know her because she's engaged to his brother. But the, the scene that I identified for this is when she uh, she goes over to Peter's apartment to feed his cat and ends up hitting him in the nose with a door. Okay, that's not exactly hand-holding. It's not hand-to-hand, but there is a little bit of contact there and it's still super, super awkward and all of that. It's a really fun, funny scene. All right, then we have um, arm to shoulder or arm to waist. The scene I identified for this is when the two of them slip and fall on the ice because there actually is physical contact there and they're really strongly hanging on to one another because they're trying not to slip on the ice. Again, it's a really funny scene and it's really charming, but that was kind of, I think, a way to get these two to actually have some physical contact when they're, you know, from a social standpoint, not allowed to have physical contact, at least not romantic contact. So that was kind of fun. And then I was thinking that there probably wasn't a mouth to mouth because they don't really kiss until the end once the truth comes out and it's clear that she's not actually engaged to his brother. But we do get a scene where they kiss under the mistletoe, where they both end up standing under it and the family encourages it because the family's just thinking that it's funny and it's tradition. And I always think that the family really should have known something was up then because it was so awkward for them to kiss. And if there was nothing there, it would not have been that big a deal. But anyway, so you do get a kiss there that's super, you know, it's almost like, it, I mean, it definitely is a first kiss, but it's also really, really awkward. And so it's, it kind of mirrors what a first kiss might be. And then, of course, we get the kiss at the end, which is first uh, in her booth where she works and then on the train. And then we get more of a, you know, their arms around each other and it's kind of more of a full romantic kiss, okay? So those are the basic steps. And I guess even though it's a little bit of a different way of doing it, like I said, because it's not a normal romance and they actually weren't allowed to have a whole lot of contact, it was still maybe a good example because even with that 
limitation of the story, they were still able to pull it off. And you can still see the way that the romance progresses. And if you line up kind of what's going on in each of those scenes, how they get to know each other, what they're saying, what the dialogue is, you can see the emotional progression as well. Okay. So this is something I teach in a lot more detail in my academy. And it's just really, really fun. If nothing else, then I'm giving you permission to go watch some fun holiday romances and try to identify the steps of progression in those romances. And like I said, as long as you know them, as long as you can write a progressive romance that makes sense to the reader, you can change them up, you can change the order, you can just have all kinds of fun with it, okay? So I had a lot of fun doing that and it just gave me an excuse to watch while you were sleeping over the holidays. So one more time, let's uh, recap the 12 steps of intimacy, as Linda Howard calls them. There is first, eye to body, second, eye to eye, third, voice to voice, fourth, hand to hand, fifth, arm to shoulder, sixth, arm to waist, seventh, mouth to mouth, eight, hand to head, nine, hand to body, and then we get into the racier stuff, 10, mouth to breast, 11, mouth to genitals, and 12, genitals to genitals. So just depending on what you're writing, you can decide how you want to use those and how they will play a part in your story, but as always, just have fun with it and uh, make sure you write romance that has lots of emotion and makes gives people the warm fuzzies over the holiday season. Okay, that is about all I have for you today. I hope that this has been helpful to you, especially if you are writing romance. But we all know that even if you don't write genre romance, I mean, I don't write genre romance, but I still put romance in my novels. So even if it's a subplot, even if it's just a small romance, you can also still use these. But maybe if the romance isn't the main, you know, plot or subplot of the story, you might only want to use one or two or three of these to just show that there's a romance going on in the background, that sort of thing. And that's perfectly okay too. It's still, it's still really valuable to have these in your pocket and be able to play around with them. All right. That is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you found some value in this, I would really appreciate it if you could share the show for me, share it anywhere you want, anywhere that you think other authors might listen to it who would also find some value and if you really really want to do me a solid um, go to iTunes and leave me a review uh, the reviews help other listeners find the podcast I don't know if you guys know that based on how many reviews iTunes will show podcasts to other authors and other people who might find some value in it so that would really help me out a lot as well so get out there and write your little heart out this holiday season and remember there is always a market for awesome me again before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.